Good morning. Man, it's good to be with you. It's an honor to be able to uh, stand before you and uh, share with you from God's Word. Um, as I get opportunities like this, I'm always uh, hit with just an awe and gratefulness uh, for who God is um, for this church. I'm, I'm grateful for all those who have worked hard uh, in serving to get today ready to be here early this morning that are serving right now, both in this room and in the kids' ministry. And, and it's always being framed in the fact that we have been called to make disciples for Jesus. And, and it happens because of folks like you, members who are sacrificially serving in this church. And I'm just amazed and blown away by the heart in which you do that. And so I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this ministry that God has given us that we get to be a part of. And I'm grateful for this word that he's given us this morning that um, I, my prayer and hope um, that it will change your life um, for an eternal uh, perspective. And so we're going to be in John chapter 8, starting verse 21. Um, from the very beginning of this series, God has been revealing himself to us. And, and we see that Jesus was the word and the word has always existed, has been eternal uh, from the beginning. Actually, there is no beginning when you say that phrase. It's just our minds are so unable to wrap around that that we try to attach things to make it make sense. But he's always existed. He will always exist. And he has come to us in, in the form of Jesus. <clears throat> and throughout the, the series, we've seen that Jesus has been revealing himself as God, that he and the Father are one, his works and his ministries have been so that we would know him in an intimate way, in a personal way. And all along, the, the unbelief and the issues that the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews, and even the Gentiles will have is that they know of God, they know the law, but they haven't fully believed in faith that he is who he says he is with a personal relationship. And so at the beginning of chapter 8, um, Jesus is teaching in the temple and the Pharisees and scribes uh, bring him a woman who had been caught in adultery to trip Jesus up, to incriminate himself, to contradict what the law that they know says. But what Jesus does, he takes the law and he takes it further beyond their understanding. And he takes it to the heart of the issue, which is the heart. And not only that, he begins to share that he is the light of the world. And it says in John that he continues to do this. He again is speaking to us. Like it says that over and over again, that he is the light of the world. And again, their desire is to remove Jesus because they don't believe he is who he says he is. And in verse 20, the way it ended last week with Pastor Jason was, is that he wasn't arrested because his time had come. And so even in the midst of the plotting and in this broken and fallen world, God's sovereignty is still in control. And so we see in verse 21 that Jesus begins to speak again. In verse 21, if you'll join me, it says, So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin." Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are not from, he said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. 
And so what Jesus is doing is he's helping us understand something that's very natural and something that he understands well, that there are two different worlds, the world that he belongs to and the world that we belong to. The presence of God that he was in, he has left to come and be in this world with you and I. And he's helping us understand this dichotomy that exists. And it's not the first time he's done this. If you'll actually look in the chapter before in chapter 7, We'll look at even verse 34 and 36. It says, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. And as we see passages like this, we see this understanding that the Jews are bringing to the table is is limited, right? They're hearing his words and they're trying to attach meaning to understand what it looks like. And so in chapter 7, when Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come, they immediately think, well, he must be going to the Greeks because we're not going over there. So that must be why he says we can't come with him. Ironically, if we continue to read that Jesus does end up doing ministry with the Greeks, but that's not exactly what he's talking about in this moment. And then we look in chapter 8 where he talks about where I'm from and where I'm going. You cannot come because you are dead in your sin. They think, well, maybe he's talking about death. That's not something we want to go to. I don't know about you, but I, I don't look forward to death. It's scary, right? Especially if we're talking about it outside of Christ. And so they're like, maybe he's talking about death. Maybe he's talking about suicide. Like, we're trying to figure out what he's saying. This is the only thing to us that could possibly make sense. And I'm reminded about a biblical counselor, Paul Tripp. We read him and use him here at the church in different ways. And he has this saying or this, this quote that we are meaning makers, that we do not live our life on bare facts alone. We don't. We want to interpret those and apply meaning in every situation. And so to give you an illustration of this, if you've ever been in like a grocery store or in a public space and you're going along your ways and you have this feeling that somebody is looking at you and then you look up and you catch somebody's eyes from across the way, you don't look and say, hmm, someone's looking at me and then move on, right? That would be living life by facts alone. What we do is like, do I know them? Is there something in my teeth? Like, did I cut them off in the parking lot and this is how it's going to end? You know, we start thinking through, like, do, should I know them? Like, is this my car? Like, did I take somebody's stuff? Like, you start applying, trying to attach meaning to a situation because we want to fill in the whole story, the whole picture. We don't just want to exist within the bare bones of things. And so we see with the Jews, they're trying to attach meaning to understanding this, but the only thing they're able to fill the picture in with is through their broken minds, through their broken hearts, their knowledge, their experiences, and they're like, it either has to be the Jews or it has to be death in these two instances. But Jesus, again, is taking something further beyond what we understand, something that's natural to him but unnatural to us, is that he comes from from above. We are from below. He is from heaven. We are not. He is coming from the presence of God. We exist with the absence of God. And so through Jesus, he is using him 
to expose this, to enlighten our hearts, for us to understand that there is an issue that needs to be dealt with. So this was, again, natural for Christ, but it was unnatural for the listeners. And he keeps reminding us, it starts off in verse 21, that again, he speaks because he's trying to point us to something that there is a lot riding on it. If you'll join me in chapter 8, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have so much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. They didn't understand that he was speaking to them about something they know nothing of. The world that he comes from, they know nothing of. And the world where we are, we are unable to because we are dead in our sins, spiritual death, unable to perceive or know or understand these things. And if we actually look through these passages uh, between verse 21 and verse 30, we see four ways that this unbelief or this sin is rooted in is self-righteousness. We see in verse 20 through 22. We see this earthly bound, just earthly rootedness in verses 23 and 24. We see unbelief that Jesus is who he says he is. But we also see a willful ignorance to not listen, to not heed, to not believe in what Jesus is saying. But the ultimate sin is our rejection of Christ. I want to say that to you again. Our ultimate sin is the rejection of Christ and who he is and what he has done. To deny his deity, to deny the work that he has done on behalf of the Father in perfect obedience. Jesus is doing something more and he continues to point to the spiritual issue behind it. But we've seen throughout the book of John that they get hung up on his miracles. They get hung up on the healing. They get hung up on the things that just blow their minds. They get hung up on the things that he's saying. And they miss believing in who is doing the great things. That's so true for us, right? It'd be like me giving my wife gifts on Valentine's Day and throughout the week and her love being affectionate towards those things and not the one who gave it to her. You would look at that and you would reject that, right? You're like, no, it's nuts. It's the person who gave it to you, right? It's the thought that counts, right? It is the thought that counts, right? But we do, we get caught up on the thing. Like when you look at a little child and they get the cool toy and they play with the box instead of the other thing. And they totally disregard the fact that it didn't just you know, appear that mom and dad had to go and do it, right? And so we see this happening. And so Jesus again is like, these things were not meant for you to get stuck on. These things were to get you a place of belief. So they did not understand his true identity. They didn't understand his purpose. They didn't have a personal relationship with him. If you would, I'd love to read John 5, <clears throat> starting in verse 36. And we talk about Jesus' identity and purpose. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. 
For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, and that the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not know, or you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one who has sent me. We see this dichotomy that has existed, right? We haven't seen him, we haven't heard him. And so we see this gap that is being bridged through Jesus. And he's saying that everything I'm doing, I'm doing because the Father has given me this work. Everything I'm doing and accomplishing, I'm doing it because the Father has sent me and has given me that ability to do so because Jesus being one with the Father. And so everything he's doing is, is bearing witness so that you and I, who are from this world, would know the Father. We see the identity of Jesus being revealed as God and the will of God being revealed through Jesus' perfect obedience. And all of this is pointing, all of this is being foreshadowed to the work of the cross, Right? Like everything Jesus has been telling us is going to be this culmination of God revealing himself, God's will and purpose in God's timing, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his ultimate ascension into heaven is the most important part that we're coming to. And it's important because we live in this broken world, separated from God, You can't come with me because you're going to die in your sin. Spiritual death. So we're not called to fall in love and pledge our allegiance to the works or to the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And that's what people were getting caught up on. They loved those things because it met a real or perceived need in their life. But Jesus is also teaching and showing us that the heart is the root of the issue. That it's not the law that is going to bring about salvation. The law condemns us. The law does not provide hope. The law deals with the exterity of us. It does not deal with the internal struggle and issues that we have. Um, When I think about counseling, um, there's a Bob Newhart Mad TV sketch. It's an older one. And uh, if you don't know who Bob Newhart is, he's a comedian. He's really funny. He's a, he's a counselor or a therapist. And this woman comes to see him in this skit. And she's just got all these anxieties and phobias. And so she's looking for someone to help her in this. And so Bob Newhart gives her this spill. He's like, it's $5 for five minutes. And, you know, I don't charge after that. And she's like, you don't charge after that? And he goes, yeah, is that an okay? He's, she's like, yeah, that sounds great. And he goes, trust me, we won't need more than five. Seems kind of arrogant. But so they go into the sheriff explaining how she feels scared of like small spaces, like tunnels and elevators. And one of the thoughts that just terrifies her to death, that paralyzes her, is this idea of being buried alive in a box. And he's like, has anybody tried to do that? She's like, no. He's like, has anybody said they were going to do that? She's like, no, but just the thought of it, I can't function. I can't live in my everyday life. And he goes, well, I'm going to give you something that will help you. Um, He says, I say it to all my patients, stop it. That's it. Stop it. She's like, what do you mean? He goes, just stop it. He goes, if you're thinking about it, stop it. Don't do it. 
She's like, but it, it scares me. He goes, well, stop it. And so she's, he's basically like, okay, we're done. That's only been like three minutes, so you owe me $3. She goes, I only have a five. He goes, well, I don't make change. So they go on for two more minutes. And she begins to explain different relationships and other issues that she's experiencing that she doesn't know how to fix. And so all of the things she brings before him, he just says, stop it, stop it, stop it. And finally she blows up. She goes, you're just being mean. That's not helpful. And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he goes, maybe this will help you. And so the way this skit ends, he goes, I'm going to give you 10 words this time that I think will help you. And he tells her, stop it now or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> and that's the end of the skit. And if we think about the law, the law is just as ridiculous for us to put a hope into it that it's going to help because all the law can do is say what? Stop it. Don't do it. But what do you do when you have a broken and sinful nature and you do it and you broke it and now you're stuck in it, you're a slave to it, looking at yourself with the law and just saying stop it is never going to be enough. If anything, it creates more anxiety, more depression, more uh, angst and overwhelming feelings of just despair. And we see the Pharisees and the scribe and even the Jews, they're like, we know the law, we've got the law. Some of them are even like, I'm living the law. I'm at my best. I just need your validation that I'm good. But the law fails and Jesus continually is pressing us forward and beyond looking at the law, beyond looking at just this understanding of who God is, but having a personal relationship so that the heart can be affected, so the heart can be changed. Just Jesus is telling us, I cannot do what I'm doing if I and the Father were not one. Not only am I telling you who I am, but the Father too. You don't know him unless you know me. There's this break between worlds. There is this realness that our sin is going to leave us in spiritual death where we are not able to be with the Father. We are not able to be with the Son. And if we don't have a way to reconcile those things, we will be lost forever. That's why we see this urgency of his message that if you don't believe, if you don't have a remedy for your spiritual sin and death, you will be lost forever. And when he goes away, there is no presence of God. Let's look at verse 28 of chapter 8. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he is saying these things, many believed in him. I'm so glad that when Jesus says that I and the Father are one, he means it. And he shows it to us by walking in perfect obedience and by doing so, he reveals the nature of who God is, that he's just, that he's loving, that he's sovereign, that he's able to defeat sin and death. Jesus is pointing us to this culmination of God's presence and God's, God's will, God's timing being pressed together in this culmination of events where he is high and lifted up. He is exalted. And it's not just that he's lifted up physically onto the cross. Because let's be honest, that's not an exalting position to be in. Scripture actually tells us it's one of the most shameful 
And even that, the ones who did it, they intended for it to be shameful. And what did God do? He died on the cross and caused it to be a shame for them. And he was high and lifted up as he ascended back to where he came from, back to the presence of God. And not only that, he leaves us a way to know that he is who he says he is. Throughout this passage, we have seen the phrase I am come up over and over again. Verse 28, it says it again, that you will know that I am he. And for the Jews, the listeners, that phrase should ring a bell for them, right? Because that is something they've heard before. Exodus 3.13, when Moses is being used by God to go speak to the people of Israel on God's behalf. And Moses is saying, what should I say when they ask who sent me? In verse 13, it says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see, there was a dichotomy back there too of different worlds. They needed to know who God was. They knew of him. They knew their heritage. They knew to cry out to him. But Moses came and spoke and he said that I am has sent me. And this is a term of deity that predicates self-existence and eternal And Jesus is affirming with us his divine nature that he is God, that he and the Father is one. The the world that we are not familiar with, where God exists, is now being made known to us through Jesus. Through the will of the Father being fleshed out in Jesus' perfect obedience. So where can we see this in Scripture? Where can we see this act of redemption being lived out. And can I be honest with you? It is hard to see God's redemption sometimes because we live in a broken and fallen world. It's hard to see past your hurt and your shame and your suffering. Or even when you see that in other people around you and you kind of adopt that because you care about what's going on in their life. It is hard to see that redemption. It's very easy to see the separation between the things above and the things of earth, right? Like we can see that now. But we see that because what was unnatural to us, God has made known to us. What God has made known to us, now we are able to see. But the world around us desperately needs us. And you and I as believers need to remind ourselves of this daily. I love to read Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 to you where we see this clearer picture of what redemption looks like, what God is trying to accomplish. Verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, through forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It says that Jesus is revealing this to us. In him we have redemption, not through his miracles, not through his healing, not through turning water into wine. We have it through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
Church, when God uses all of his wisdom and insight, we can trust in it, right? My best wisdom and my best insight can only get you so far. It's only gotten me so far. I've had to reach out to others for help. It's limited. I can only make meaning or make sense of so much in my broken and fallen world that I live in. But in all wisdom and insight, God is making known to us the mystery of his will. The very thing that Jesus came to live out in front of us in perfect obedience, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time. What, to, what is it to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth? We see this beautiful picture of what has been separated, that God is bringing all things back together to be united. That once we didn't know who God was, we hadn't seen him, we haven't heard him. And because of Jesus, we now have that representation. We now have a way to be reconciled to him. This is what the beautiful story of redemption is, is that when God created, there was perfect peace, perfect shalom. There was a perfect unity and relationship with him. Because sin has wrecked and devastated all of that, God, in his wisdom and insight, has decided to instill redemption through his son, through the forgiveness of, uh, for, for the forgiveness of our sins through his blood, so that we may know his righteousness, so that we may be united in all things. We see this dichotomy, we see in light and darkness, we see in spirit and flesh, we see in eternity and temporal. We see the split because God has made it known to us. When I said earlier, it's hard to see God's redemption when there's so many things going on. But what God is really calling us is to deal with those head on, to understand the hurt and its suffering and deal with it with courage and the gospel. Because in that depth of depravity, in that depth of hurt and suffering, the God that did all of this meets us in it so that when he says, I am going somewhere you cannot come, your spiritual death is not something that will hinder you. When you believe in faith in who Jesus says he is, what he has done when he is high and lifted up, when he is exalted and we know who he is, then we can be saved. God's perfect will determined everything that Jesus walked through. He reminds us that he does nothing on his own, that the one who sent him is with him. I see this beautiful picture of Jesus being God for us. And as believers, we now get to bear that image that has been broken so that others may know that there is a God who loves them, that a God who will save them in their sin the one that will redeem them in all of his wisdom and all of his mercy. And honestly, he did it without sacrificing his justice. That is amazing. There's a lot I could do if I had just ignored justice. But it wouldn't mean much. And so what does this look like for us? I love this passage in John chapter 20. It feels like this capstone to what we're talking about. In verse 30 it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. 
These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We actually just sang that. That was the song we sang right before uh, Daniel prayed for us. There is life in his name. There is life in his name. You and I who are destined to die in spiritual death apart from Christ, there is life in his name that we may believe. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And you're going to have an opportunity to respond. Wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are in your life, there's an opportunity to respond. And if the Holy Spirit prompts you, I pray that you would just be faithful to say yes to that. Whatever that means, whatever the cost, that you would say yes to that. Maybe today you would have to admit to yourself there is unbelief in your life that Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe it's because you've never placed your faith and trust in him. If you're here today, we would love to walk you through what that looks like and what that means. Maybe for some of you here who are believers, the obedience that we see in Christ, you're like, the cost is too much to be obedient, to follow like he did. It is a lot. But that's why I'm so grateful for the volunteers in this church because we are here as the biblical community to encourage when it gets tough, to divide up the burdens when life gets hard, and to remind each other of the gospel truth that Jesus is the one who does transformation, reconciliation, him and him alone. Or maybe you're here and you have been, uh, somebody has been placed on your heart that needs to know that Jesus has paid for their sin, that he has made what has been unknown to us known so that we may believe in faith. Wherever you are in that, I pray that you would respond and you would respond boldly to what God is leading, calling in your heart. You will have pastors up front. We would love to talk and pray with you. But right now, I'd love to pray and then uh, we'll have an opportunity to continue to worship. Father, we come before you this morning just grateful for who you are. Grateful for the fact that you have revealed yourself to us. And what we have not been able to see or know, you have made known to us through Jesus. That, Father, there is not a sin in our life that you cannot or have not already overcome. Father, we are no longer slaves. Through faith in you, we become free, heirs of God, redeemed, righteous, set apart, holy. And all this is because you are redeeming this broken world unto yourself. We simply just believe that you are who you say you are. That what you did, you did, and you did it perfectly. And you are the only one that could have ever done that. So Lord, we pray all this in your son's name.